this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Jeffrey Morris, founder of WFHB Radio and Firehouse Broadcasting. If you missed part one, go to WFHB.org, pull down the programs menu, and select Big Talk for the podcast of that edition. Community Radio WFHB has been on the air for 30 years now, but it took nearly two decades to get there. Last week, Jeffrey took us through the first part of its Genesis story. When we left off, in the mid-1980s, Morrison Company had applied for a new FCC frequency and thought they were well on their way, but they were denied. Let's pick up the story from there with this week's guest, Jeffrey Morris. We had asked to have the channel put in table of allocations and make it non-commercial. Uh-huh. So that went around and around, and it was fought over and paid for, and it's now the Christian station, 94.1, that's, uh, I think, I'm still on Studio East in the town. I forget what their call letters are. But the truth is, the, the point is, we didn't get it. And we had a lawyer that did FCC things and an engineer. They took care of us, but they didn't once tell us that we didn't have a chance. Oh. <laughs> they took our money. We spent, oh, I think something in the order of $10,000 to try and do this. And we went to Washington, got all the support and all these letters, and we didn't get it. And you think you're, you're well on your way. You know, well, we think we got a good chance, and, yeah. if, and if we'd got 95.1, we wouldn't have the Channel 6 limitations. Yeah. Our tower would be closer to town, and we'd probably be running more power than we are now. But that didn't happen. Now we start thinking about some more, and we're still talking to consultant engineers. <laughs> the guy who filed their first application that got us 91.3, Ken Devine. He lived in New Orleans at the time, and we got to him through the NFCB, and we talked about this. And um, actually, at one point, Jim Manning and I drove down to New Orleans and hung out with him for a little bit. About that time, the FCC and the NFCB, which was fairly new, National Federation of Public Broadcasters, and NPR and whoever else, had gotten together and worked out a compromise with the FCC. And what it did, it defined, it had a formula, and it would define an area where you would have interference, and there had to be less than 3,000 people living in that area. There was this formula, and it predicted, you know, where's your tower and power, where's Channel 6, and where would they overlap, and how many people live in that area. And what we did with um, Ken Devine is we went south of town, about 11 miles from here, right to the last protected contour of Channel 6. So our contour is partly into Channel 6 and partly out, but it's out in the woods, you know, it's out south of town. There's very few people there. So we qualified. So we were, you know, we didn't have 3,000 people in there. And you wouldn't have been able to do that several years beforehand because that compromise hadn't been made yet. That's right. That that happened right there about 84 or 85. 
but it was still limiting. Yeah. So that's why we tried to, the uh, petition for rulemaking to get a new channel that would work better for us. And that didn't. So once once all that went down, then we figured this out and we put in an application with Ken. And so we filed the application and we actually get our construction permit because what you do is you get a construction permit, you get to build your station, put it on the air and test it, then you file for the license. But the license is, is secondary. It's all kind of automatic. Okay. So we got the construction permit, and there we are. We've got this piece of land out there, and we got it in December of 91. We got construction permit. We're going into 92, and there is um, a de- big Department of Commerce grant, a big grant. And it was like a 60-40 match, and we still had $60,000 left from Cecil Waldron's. So yeah. Brian Carney wanted to apply for that grant before we actually went on air and used the money. So that put us off for a then towards the end of 92, we went ahead and started building. In that summer of 92, we had the acre of land that the station is now located on. and The broadcast tower. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. So at, at the summer solstice, a few of us went out there, and right in the center of the land, there was no tower or anything yet. We built a bonfire. <laughs> and we had a couple of old cart machines, which they kind of look like eight tracks. It yeah. used to the way radio stations would do announcements. Right, right. They're little short tape loops. PSAs we, and all. We, sure. we threw them into the fire. <laughs> and we passed um, a book around sex and broadcasting with Lorenzo <laughs> Milan, and we read passages from it. As And this happened, I think it was like as it was getting dark, and so we had this little celebration on this. <laughs> And um, that sounds so Bloomington to me. (laughs) So then we're up to okay, we put up the tower. I find somebody from Columbia, Missouri to come and put up our tower. And we figured out the engineering, we knew what kind of antenna we would have, and we knew what kind of cable we needed. And so we put up uh, at that point a hundred foot tower. They put the antenna out, running the cable down, and there it's dangling. Then we um, start to build the transmitter building, which is 12 by 15, and I get a couple guys to dig it and pour the concrete pad. And um, I had a neighbor who started laying concrete block and only got through one course and decided he didn't want to do it. Oh, brother. (laughs) So I actually laid the next two courses a block. And then finally I got um, some guys who came and finished the block and finish the concrete and so that got done and another local contractor put the roof on it and I put electrical service together so now I got the transmitter building and I've been shopping for a transmitter found one that was used it's a tube transmitter this is the actual gadget electrical gadget that transforms the sound of voice or a record yeah. Into well, it, electrical pulses. It takes an audio input yeah. and turns it into an FM radio signal. So yeah. this is the transmitter. And I think I paid 1600 bucks for it, you know, which was plenty at the time. And it got delivered right here. 
firehouse right here, right outside on the sidewalk. And none of this was here. It was just an open space. Right. The it's the old fire firehouse. base here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So I drug it in, and about where the newsroom is now, I had it set up. I took it completely apart, cleaned every part of it, painted wow. it all, replaced a few things, bought a um, what's called a dummy load. You can't turn a transmitter on without having an antenna so the power has somewhere to go. Because otherwise, it'll heat up and burn itself up. So I bought a, a, a dummy load, just a, a, looks like a radiator, <laughs> almost. <laughs> and, a, and I had a scrap of cable that I, somebody had donated to us, and I hooked it up and turned it on and, ran, and uh, got it going, learned how to use it, got it going, and took to that dummy load, turned it on, and ran it for a week because I didn't want to drag it all the way out to the transmitter and not have it work. Right. So I wanted to know if it was... Will it last? Will it last? So that happened. So then, and I set it up, and we hook it up to the the big cable that goes to the tower, and this is December 12th. That's the first time I turned the transmitter on. We put the power on, and then the fans start running, and the tube filaments warm up, and then there's the on-air button. So I hit that, and it goes, ba-boom, and turns right back off. Oh, no. And I think, oh. And then I realized the output from the transmitter is running through something that's called an SWR bridge. And what it does is it measures how much power is being reflected back from the antenna. So if it's damaged, it shuts off the Uh transmitter. And I hadn't set it. It was set on zero. Oh, no. So I set it up to, you know, I mean, there's only, it just was a minor thing. So you didn't wreck it? No, not oh, at all. Boy. Not at all. But it was still surprised to go clunk the first time I hit it, and it didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I ran it for a little while. And actually, let me, let me go back. The first time we were on the air, we had our license. But this wasn't set up yet at the transmitter building. In my garage, I had an old 1943 GE transmitter. This is like ancient tube transmitter. And made an antenna out of an old ham antenna and put it on the air from my garage a couple months before we went on the air. And uh, I had a home boombox, so I played a couple of cassettes. <laughs> and I think Jim Mannion actually heard it. I didn't talk. I didn't have a microphone or anything. I there just, was an audience of one? <laughs> I have no idea who heard it. But that, that was the first time it was on there. So, okay, we're back to December 12th. It goes kaboom, and then I get it. It's up and running. Everything looks good. In the um, year before we actually went on, Brian and I had sent out letters to radio stations in several states around, asked if they had any old equipment. And we'd gotten a a number of things, including that council. It came from a radio station up near Kokomo called (laughs) WIOU. And the line that we heard from the guy who gave it to us was that the owner called it that because he'd borrowed so much money to put it on the air. (laughs) And we had two just consumer CD players and two little cassette decks and a reel-to-reel machine, a reel-to-reel tape machine. And then uh, on the 
15th of December, I did about, I don't know, most of an hour. I, I played a few things. I, I played the, the Gypsy Kings, which I'd had out from the library for some reason. <laughs> and Suleiman Zai, who's a really nice guitar player from this area. And I just happened to have his new CD. So I played those couple things. Did you tell people that this was going to happen yeah. and so that they could tune in? A few people did listen. I'm not sure who else might have actually heard that. A few people heard it. So that's the 15th, right? Yeah. Then we start doing a bunch of what we call test broadcasts. Jim got into it. He came, he came out a number of days, including Christmas Day, and did several hours on the air. This was like, we call them the test broadcast. <laughs> you know? And this is all done <clears throat> in this tiny... 12 uh, by 15... Cinder block. Cinder block building in the middle of one acre of land. About as big as a big closet. Well... I've seen pictures. <laughs> and I also saw that there was a blue sort of <clears throat> porta potty <laughs> outside. Oh, <of> <laughs> yeah. Well, we had the porta potty at you know, initially. Yeah. So then, um, you know, Jim did a number of test broadcasts and this and that and he was there on christmas day and and i think it was actually mark richardson i'm not sure if i got that right wow brought out a pizza to him <laughs> and i think that's true i've heard this story from men I, I think i think it was mark yeah but um so that went on so then january it's time to do it now january 4th it's a monday and um we have this big gong from Herman Wells, uh -huh. and uh, Jim and Brian and me, and um, I think Rich Fish might have been there, but I don't see him in the pictures, but I think he took the pictures. <laughs> we started, we had two old turntables that I'd kind of resurrected and built a, something for them to set in. And I said, we had the two cassette decks and two CD players and a reel-to-reel -reel tape machine. At the time, we just had one Sure 58 microphone on a short stand sitting on the thing. So then we, we rang the gong, and we played uh, John Hartford's Turn Your Radio On. <laughs> and started and went on f on from there. So that was, that was the official start. I don't remember how long we stayed on the air, but then we started going regular. Yeah. We weren't coming on till about two o'clock, and then we'd go to as late as people wanted to. So you had tw you were able to broadcast twenty four hours a day if you wanted. Oh yeah. yeah, we just didn't have a way to do it. So people start coming out, and we only had a couple dozen CDs, <laughs> and um, people would bring boxes of their their stuff and come out and, uh, you know, be on there from the station. Well, how did you get the word out to people to say, hey, come on, you can be a DJ? Okay, let's, then I think I need to back up. Okay. We were also, in that time period, having meetings with people and putting the word out to recruit DJs. And this uh -huh. is more Jim and a little bit Brian's um, thing. And, and, you know. Mannion and Carney, yeah. Yeah, and, you know. There are a few of us that were on there. There, um, Sandy McGinn was on from the blockhouse, uh -huh. and um, of course Boy. me and and Jim. But 
And, um, but we, we were going on the air, and we were out, weren't on 24 hours at all. We were on at 2. And then the middle of summer, um, in June sometime, we started going on at noon, and I took the first Friday shift at noon. So that's when I started doing a regular show Friday at noon, sometime in midsummer. So then we went on, and we didn't go on. I don't think we were on in the morning at all till we got here in the firehouse. Which was about a year later than yeah. uh, when the firehouse okay. opened. We were out. on the air from the transparent building for a year and one month. Yeah. Okay, so so here we are. We got our old transmitter up and running. We got that old board out there. We got CD players, and we're actually getting some stuff on reel-to-reel tape. We used to early on. We got a show called Zorba Pastor on Your Health, which. Um, it was okay, um, but it started getting real expensive at one point years later, and we quit. But it actually came on a reel-to-reel tape to <laughs> start with. And after not too long, it was come, you know, back when we got a little few years in, things started coming on CDs instead. Yeah. But early on, we still had the half-inch tape machine, <laughs> tape machine there. So, yeah, and we did our thing and broadcast and started to begin to uh, get get a bit of an audience. And So you're, you're, you're running the station at the little cinder block uh, shack, but at the same time you're building out this old fire okay, station at here. The, at this point, the Waldron, um, Cecil Waldron had given the money for the BAC, too, and yeah. And added additional money, well, I, and I, w- I was yeah. on the building committee and worked on that. But then we got this space at some point. But during that time, when I was um, when we were on from from the blockhouse from the from the uh, you know the transmitter, I was meeting here in, every Saturday morning, and we put this out on the air. The internet was still pretty primitive and. Emails were cumbersome and right. black and white, and you had to get special program to do it. And but I would come here Saturday morning, and whoever wanted to help volunteer came in, and we worked on it. And what we did was we tore out all the offices that the old fire department put in, and they were really funky. It was amazing that the the fire chief's office. Had code violations. <laughs> and there was a drywall bucket up in the attic above the offices catching water from a leak in the roof. Oh, God. <laughs> so we, we tore all that out, and we built the new, what's now the three offices now. Yep. First, we poured concrete over the, the floor. We added two inches of concrete to Ooh. it. Huh. And covered it up, covered up the old tiles and, and stuff, the old asphalt. Stuff. And built the three rooms, and wired that up, and uh, you know, and this space was still just junk and open space, and it was open to the garage door. Then in March of '94, I, you know, we went off the air. I think the light, we were on Thursday, and on Friday, I took the trans, took things apart. All of them in the town. And, From the uh, yeah, cinder block uh, and I'd, shack. I'd set it up so we, you know, could do this. Yeah. And 
on a big table that um, the table's actually in the newsroom now, which is the same table that was out at the the blockhouse, and set up the air room. So I had wired that much up, set that up, and in order to do this, we needed to get what's called an STL, Studio Transmitter Link, which is a microwave signal that goes from a dish on this tower here out to the transmitter. Right. So we had to buy that and certain other equipment to facilitate that. So Brian Carney had that. We actually borrowed, I think, $11,000 to get the STL equipment, to get the tower up. And the tower that's back here was actually by a realtor's office up a little ways from here that I'd seen that they'd taken down because before cell phones, some of the realtors had two-way radios. Uh-huh. So that tower was there and had just been taken down and taken apart. And and uh, I said, oh, you know, and I asked and they gave it to us. So it was just sitting about where we are now for a while. And um, there was used to be some something called Waltz Two-Way Radio, a guy that lived out on Russell Road that did various things and they put up the tower. And back in the corner back there, me, with a little bit of help from somebody else, I dug a big hole that was, you know, about a yard, well, about five by five by five, and right here behind the building. And then we got a crane, and we took the bottom section, and we put it back there yeah. and poured concrete, and it had to get in a tube over the top of the building and into there and set the bottom section. Then we put the rest of the tower together, put it in a crane, and set it up. Fit it in. Yeah. So then we set up the STL, and the, there was no 98.1 at that point. But And so that's we got the, all that working, and we paid off that 11000 probably within a couple of years. That, wow. It, Brian worked. He, he got us support. He got us money. And right off the bat, you're having fun drives. No. No, <clears throat> we okay. had our first fun drive when we were here in the firehouse, and I think it was pretty mild mannered. We just started having fun drives then, and I think we only had one that year. But we had other benefits going on. We had benefit concerts and stuff through those first years. You know, we did a few things up in the Waldron Auditorium. We two summers we had a. Um, like a sale, a junk sale, uh, an auction. Yeah. With some music and people like Tall Steve auctioned off an afternoon of his time to work on high places in somebody's house. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was fun. It was music. So we, we had some fundraising. That would be Steve Volin, uh, the longtime yeah, city council member yeah. and <clears throat> DJ right here at WFHB. Yeah, he, uh, Again, our guest is uh, Jeffrey Morris, Sundog. He's the chief engineer here and one of the founders and the one who never went away. That's right. Never gave up on the dream. Uh, it took 20 <clears throat> years to get this darn thing on the air. Years, yeah. And then, yeah. well, that was about 30 years <clears throat> ago that it went on the air, for God's right. sake. So we're talking a 50-year process to get to today. Yeah. A long way from me being a ham radio operator when I was 12 years old. Now, that's the beauty. Uh, right before we started 
recording, uh, Jeffrey showed me a picture of himself, this geeky kid <laughs> in a basement in Gary, Indiana, in front of a big ham radio right. set. Yeah. Who, who, who are you talking to? Oh, whoever would um, answer. The ham radio at that point was a little different than it is now. It's so much digital. and Yeah. You would just get on the mic and say, CQ, CQ, which is a general call, and see who answered. Who's there? You know, and I answered some people some. And the truth is I didn't really do all that much talking. Uh, I, I played with it. I liked the equipment, but I didn't. I mean, there were various times when we had good conversations with yeah. somebody or this or that. But I didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking to people. I mean, it was more the fun of playing with the equipment and, right. and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, well, that's where it started for me, the ham radio. What about regular radio? Uh, were you one of those kids back then, 60s, maybe even 50s at this point, who listened to the transistor radio under the covers? Yes. You know, this is... What? <clears throat> 1958, my parents bought me what was new, a transistor radio. It was just AM, and it had eight transistors in it, <laughs> and it worked. And I would listen to it under the covers at night. But so, I, yeah, I listened to radio, and I grew up in Gary, so I had Chicago stations, you know, and there was a couple late-night shows that I liked listening to, oh, sure. and there was a jazz show I liked listening to. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I listened to radio, and I listened to, um, and this was all AM at that point. <laughs> that that rate, I think of that radio sometimes, eight transistors in something like four times the size of my phone. <laughs> this phone has billions of transistors in it, billions. Yeah. <laughs> so things have kind of progressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different day and age. There's yeah. no question yeah. about oh, that. Oh, I, I was into radio, and other things about radio is um, I grew up in Gary, but I was born in Chicago, and my parents' families were in Chicago. Uh -huh. So we'd often be in Chicago on the weekend, and we'd be driving home Sunday evening or something, and we'd be listening to radio, and we'd hear live radio, Amos and Andy, or various of yeah. the old-fashioned radio shows. And right. I love that. I always enjoy The kind of it. stuff Richard Fish uh, uh, yeah. puts on on yeah. his show. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I, I got hooked on radio pretty early. One of the founders of this radio station, and Jeffrey Morris, also known <clears> as Sundog. <throat> Thanks so much. Well, thank you. I enjoy these things, listening to these things, and um, I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> <laughs>